0: Welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Podcast. Our Christmas special extends. I feel like, well, I guess it was previously like Thanksgiving, wasn't it? And then we kind of had something that was tangentially related to Christmas. I feel like I'm the, always the person who points out, why are we having the Christmas decorations? It is August. This is ridiculous. And I feel like we've done Christmas episodes until like from November to December. But I don't know how. To, do you like the crisp, getting in the Christmas spirit super early? Are you one of these people?
1: No, after Thanksgiving, <laughs> I like Christmas a lot. But I like the whole holiday. I like the the autumn, and then you got you know the whole holiday season here is awesome.
0: So uh, how it's a nice was time Thanksgiving? I, we don't celebrate it. Uh, I know you uh, just good.
1: did. Yeah, good. Good. Ate a lot of food. Good. You know, kind of the whole
0: point. Did you watch sports? Good times. I hear people watch sports. No, no, yeah. no sports. You like baseball, right? Not football. I do American yeah. football, I should say. Otherwise, I get the British yeah. people. Baseball's at me.
1: baseball's better because you got it's almost like an audiobook like or a podcast, <laughs> like where it's every day and it's like something you can listen to while you do something else. And yeah. it's really it's quite entertaining when you want it to be, but you can also tune it out for a little bit and still not like miss much usually. Or like if something happens and you know the announcers will get excited or whatever, so you can <laughs> tune back in real quick. Yeah. But so it's like it's it's like tailored to be able to like do stuff too. You know, like if you can even do some work as long as, you know, some, some types of work or like doing projects or whatever, you know, mow the lawn. It's just nice. It enhances it. It's totally just like an audiobook or podcast.
0: When we were in... The, and it's every day. Every... Yeah, I know. When, when, we, when we were in the States last year for VidCon and we were driving around, you have that baseball constantly on just really low volume, just always in the background. So you The baseball yeah. announcers, always there, like in the background, always like... Yeah part of your day. And it makes the drive more enjoyable (laughs) as well. (laughs) I had no idea what was going on, but it's, I like just having people chat in the backgrounds. It kind of makes me feel relaxed and stuff because, you know, God forbid I'd be left alone with my own thoughts for for more than a moment. Um, (laughs) uh, What are we, what are we talking about today? I know it's Christmassy. Uh, What's on the, today is the the first like real
1: Christmas episode. I feel like Uh, the other ones were sort of like Christmas related, but you know, it was kind of about something else. Yeah, which, by the way, if people haven't watched or listened to the the Sledgehammer one particularly, one of my favorites. I really liked how that episode turned out as well. Also one of my favorites to research Mm. on that one, so go listen to it. But today, today we're doing, we're going to look at uh, the song Silver Bells. There's some interesting stuff about that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to look at the 12 Days of Christmas. Why is it 12 Days of Christmas? Where did the song actually come from? Because there's a lot of different stories out there of how it came to be. And then we're going to look at a uh, the little Miss Dynamite or Brenda Lee and we're going to look at uh, her most famous song and sort of uh, the, I know where that came story. from
0: This is she had that yeah. super famous Christmas song which I don't know I yeah. I quite like it. How do you feel? Like of all the Christmas songs Yeah. I'd it's rank good that one.
1: and it's also it's also kind of interesting how how uh, you know there's a couple of things about it that I just think are are, are quite fascinating that you don't nec- when you hear it you won't necessarily pick up on Uh, But so we'll talk about that later.
0: I'm looking forward to it.
1: Oh, and then we're going to end in the follow up. Did you look up the lieutenant versus lieutenant? I absolutely did.
0: Okay. But this is the worst tease ever. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for a really boring and disappointing answer to that question. (laughs) Previously, we talked about why do Americans (laughs) say lieutenant and British people say lieutenant because it's always a thing for me, especially in the videos about how do you pronounce this? Uh, I looked it up. It's 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 disappointing. Stay tuned. (laughs) Silver Bells. (laughs) Silver Bells. So. You know what? I don't know this song. Really? Yeah. I looked it up because I was like, oh, maybe this we just have a different name for it. Like maybe it's Jingle Bells, you know, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells or however it actually really goes. Um, But then, no, it's a different song and I'd never heard it before. 140 million recordings of this song have sold since it was written. Like 70 I feel years like ago, they've got to just been so. sold to Americans, though. Or maybe this is just one of those Simon's Gaps in knowledge. Oh, I have another one. I came up with, it. you know, like, I feel like this is becoming a bit of a trope of things that everyone has seen that I haven't seen, like Star Wars, the Lord of the Ring movies, yeah. um, this kind of stuff. Got a new one to add. Uh-huh. I've never yeah. seen any of the Godfather movies. Neither have I. <sighs>
1: I've seen. Well, to be fair, I've seen like fifteen minutes of one of them, and I thought it was super boring. Yeah, I just don't like those
0: gangster movies, except for The Usual Suspects. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was a good one. Okay, finally on the same page.
0: (laughs) Um, I'm I'm glad I found something that I just assumed was a part of the fabric of society that you also haven't seen.
1: Yeah, and really little interest in it. Yeah, uh, no
0: interest. Absolutely no. Yeah, Uh, nothing. Sorry, carry on. Good. I'm pleased. Silver Bells. Silver bells. Also never so, heard of that. This was, uh, this was originally
1: supposed to be, uh, if people don't know, in the Lemon Drop Kid. That's what it was written for, was this movie, a 1951 film starring Bob Hope. And uh, so this this is just funny because it's the film is called the Lemon Drop Kid. And so Jay Livingston, the composer, and Ray Evans, the, the songwriter, they originally wanted to call the song Tinkle Bells to yeah. go in a movie called the lemon drop kid and of course this uh, ah, quickly tinkle, got tinkle like quick, to be yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so
0: evans actually uh, he states of this we never thought that tinkle has a double meaning until jay went home and his wife said are you out of your mind do you know what the word tinkle is of course referring to the fact that it is another word for urination
1: yes
0: yeah, indeed so, um, indeed
1: and, yeah and interesting they actually i mean I don't know if people have heard of them, Livingston and Evans, maybe aren't, you know, super famous today. But, like, yeah. in their day, they were, like, considered, like, uh, they actually got the nickname, the last great Hollywood songwriters, basically. And so this, I mean, they did, like, the K. Sirrah, Sera song. Have you heard that? One? Hey, Sera whatever yeah, Sera, whatever will we'll be. be. Will yeah, be. exactly. Yeah. Also, Chicago's Buttons and <laughs> Bows and Mona Lisa and stuff. So they, they wrote a, a, a bunch of huge hit songs. But they came to this, this Christmas song, that Paramount asked them to write a Christmas song. And mm. they were like, nope. They were like, you can't write a
0: Christmas song. Uh, Well, actually, we have have a quote from Evan, so you should just read that. It's impossible to write a hip Christmas song. Every year, everybody sings the same old Christmas songs, and new ones never make it.
1: Yeah. So they really didn't want to do it because also their contract was about to expire and they thought that Paramount, like if they flopped, would just Uh be like, we're not going to renew these guys. Uh, So they were kind of nervous about it. But in the end, Paramount insisted, that's what they wanted. And so they ended up, there was a bell on, um, on one of their desks when they were kind of, you know, thinking and they were like, oh, maybe like, do you have the, like the Salvation Army in Britain at all?
0: Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it does exist.
1: Yeah. And so they, did they have like, they, they ring the bells outside of stores on Christmas? You know, uh, is that like a thing?
0: They shake maybe a a, a pot with coins in it. Yeah, basically. They,
1: yeah. Here they have like bells and they have the little pot thing and then you put money in for, mm-hmm. you know, charity. Um, so yeah, this was kind of their idea and they thought, uh, you know, that was kind of the idea of the song. It gives you the feeling of Christmas or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they came up with it and yeah, like I said before, it ended up being, you know, arguably their biggest hit. 140 million recordings of that song have sold <laughs> since they wrote it. That is just, you know, that's quite the moneymaker.
0: Yeah, I think last yeah. time we said we should get into books because they last forever. Let's write a now, Christmas song, Christmas,
1: right? If you can, if you can hit something on Christmas, it is because I I, don't, I couldn't find the quote now, but I do remember uh, when I was researching it, there was one from Evans or Livingston. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. But it was basically just like, it is like the great deposit every year. It's just like every year they yeah. get like this royalty
0: check for that. And it's just like massive. It's just like a retirement plan. Didn't so, we do something about the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer dude as well? Like, uh, I think yeah, did oh, video and he got all the money from that yeah, in the end.
1: Yeah, um, Johnny Marks or whatever. Yeah. I think it was something like that. We're going we're gonna to bring up some Rudolph stuff uh, in a future episode here quite soon. So we'll probably circle back around on that.
0: Another Christmas episode.
1: There will be. There will be. At least one more, but I think actually two more. One of them will be bonus facts, and the bonus facts one is really good. There's some really good stuff in there. So I think that'll be good. Are we doing that? Is that
0: the odd Christmas
1: traditions one I see coming up? Uh, That one will be the next one.
0: God, we have a lot of people are going to assume that we're really Christmassy people. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, not a a super. I'm like, uh, yeah, an interruption to work. Such a (laughs) cringe. So what are, we, what are we talking about today? What's, what's the main section? So now we're going to move on. I feel like there should be a sexier word than section. Like, what's the main <laughs> section? Like, what's the main content? Twelve days of
1: Christmas. So yeah. today we, of course, don't have 12 days of Christmas. So why is it called 12 days of Christmas? Where did it come about? Because, you know, there's a lot of uh, stories out there. So to begin with, it turns out there was. There actually at one point was 12 days of Christmas. And that was very common across different sects of Christianity. And uh, so you start it. Christmas that uh, Christmas begins on the twenty fifth, of course, mm-hmm. for the like we do. But then it actually ends on January sixth, is, which is the Epiphany, and that's just like a, a feast to you know celebrate uh, Jesus and the incarnation. Is basically they they basically just had a lot of feasts and stuff, mm-hmm. and in, in that time, and then there's, you know twelve days of Christmas sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, totally. So there's this idea that it was like a Catholic catechism, and so it's just written to help uh, teach Christian values and stuff uh, to kids and whatnot. But it turns out this this doesn't actually seem to be true. But the general idea is that the lyrics are coded, and and it's just just way it's for the Catholics to talk about their little or their beliefs and stuff without actually anyone knowing they're talking about it, right? Yeah. Um, because in Britain, Britain and Ireland at the time when this song, you know, kind of popped up, uh, there was the penal laws and stuff against. Catholicism and stuff because you had uh, you know, the, the church in England broke off because, you know, Henry the whatever wife, <laughs> Henry right? the Eighth a, a divorced, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's how that came. <laughs> and so that that's the general idea. And so the what's the symbolism supposedly mean? And so we have it kind of varies a little bit from version to version, but for the most part this this right here is the, the common symbolism that it's
0: supposed to be. Shall I just read this through so people get a little reminder and of all of the yeah. things and then what they're... Okay. Some of these are a real yeah. stretch. Like, yeah. uh, so true love, it's usually stated that true love is either God or Jesus Christ. Once again, the partridge in the pear tree is also Jesus. The two, per- <laughs> uh, two turtle doves are the Old and New Testaments. The French hens are the theological values faith hope and charity the four calling birds the four gospels of Matthew Mark Luke and John or representing the individuals themselves, the five golden rings are the first five books of the Old Testament, the six geese are the six days of creation, the seven swans are the seven sacraments of the Holy Spirit, the milking maids are the eight blessings in the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, the nine ladies are the Holy Spirit's nine fruits, ten lords are leaping are actually the Ten Commandments, eleven pipers piping are the eleven apostles, and finally twelve drummers drumming are the twelve points of belief in the Apostles' Creed. All right. So, yeah. So when they had ones that didn't fit, they were just like, why well, is that many books? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: the, there's, um, well, we'll get to it in a minute. But for okay. right now, when did this come about? So it turns out one of the first problems with this sort of red flags is that it, it, there's no reference to any of these sort of, uh, you know, associations until 1979 when one Hugh D. McKellar, uh, he wrote a piece titled How to Decode the 12 Days of Christmas. Yeah. And that seems to be the first the first time this was ever suggested, so that's like really modern. So it's like, well, it's a really old song. When did you say this first popped up? Night. The uh, the song itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's really old. We'll get <laughs> we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, so so that that. But then. So not like it wasn't like 1950. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this this piece from Hugh D. McKellar wasn't really the one that popularized the idea. The one that popularized the idea actually was a sort of a, a version of it was from uh, Father Hal Stockert. And he came up with his own version of the same basic thing. Mm-hmm. And he published an article online in 1995 and uh, and it kind of spread from there. Um, and so he actually has a web page where he explains how he, how he, you know, came across this or whatever.
0: Okay, this is a long quote. Here we go. Yeah. Over the years since this was written, in about 1982 and first put out for the online world to enjoy, I have been deluged every year with hundreds of you can't prove this kinds of letters. Obviously, I cannot prove anything to anyone who doesn't care to believe. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not done with the quote. He's going to. What? (laughs) He's going to regret that statement later. He so is. Uh, He continues. However, for those who are interested in the provenance of the data, and to save myself the burden of having my inbox filled with notes asking for evidence to beat debunkers over the head with, I will simply add this and leave it to the reader to accept or reject it as he or she may choose. I found this information while I was researching for an entirely unrelated project which required me to go to the Latin texts of the sources pertinent to my research. Among those primary documents, there were letters from Irish priests, mostly Jesuits, writing back to the motherhouse, du in France, Uh, mentioning this purely as an aside and not at all as part of the main content of the letters. In those days, even though there are those who will deny this, it was a sufficient crime between 1538 and nearly 1700 just to be a Jesuit in England to find oneself hanged, drawn and quartered if he fell into the hands of the authorities. Whether you believe it or not is irrelevant to me. You can enjoy it or not as you choose. I hadn't written it as a doctoral thesis simply as some delicious tidbit I thought the world would be delighted to share over a holiday season. It seems, however, that there is more than one Grinch, and I am not at all interested in feeding the others who remain past the one in the Christmas cartoons. Believe, if you will. Dissent, if you choose. Let the rest enjoy the story.
1: So then he was also asked, of course, to produce the primary documents that supposedly
0: existed, and he stated, I wish I could give them, but all of my notes were ruined when our church had a plumbing leak and the basement flooded. Yeah. Yeah. But then, he did...
1: (laughs) He did update his 1995 webpage on the subject, uh, later, much later,
0: noting, Uh, P.S. It has come to our attention that this tale is made up of both fact <laughs> and fiction. Hopefully, it will be accepted in the spirit it was written, as an encouragement to people to keep their faith alive when it is easy, and when any outward expression of their faith could mean their life. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. So this, set. I mean, this had to be,
1: like, a false memory, right? That he had, like, something... Maybe he came across that McKellar thing or something, and then, like, a couple years... A few years later, you know, he's just, like, remembered it weirdly
0: or something. Maybe. Wait, the McKellar thing was what? That was the original... That
1: was... Yeah, that was, like, a few years before he originally claims that he came up with the idea, and then he later posted it in 1995, like, 13 years after that, on the webpage, which then, you know, then you're really talking a huge gap, so then we actually made the webpage... You know, that's that's a huge gap in time. I mean, had to be something like that, right? Because, you know, he's it's not like, going to just lie about it, right? You know, he's like a minister. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I feel maybe he, maybe he at first it was a false memory, and then he was kind of like, uh-oh, I'm in a bit of a hole. So he was kind of like, yeah, it was some Latin texts, I guess, something like that, rather than... And he probably yeah. didn't really... Because a false memory is one thing, like, but, you know just decoding it from latin yeah. texts and stuff i think yeah. he was just like uh oh. but either way he's he owned up in the end yes good he's like yeah
1: all right so yeah so there has been extensive research well he sort of owned up yeah yeah he didn't really specify which parts he was saying was fact and fiction just you know
0: yeah it does seem like it wasn't mean spirited or anything like he's just like no. hey this was a bit of fun maybe I. Was a bit too serious about it. He
1: he was one of the early people in 1995 to learn that you
0: can't say something wrong on the internet and expect to get away with it. It's like, where are my primary documents?
1: Where are they? It will never, it will never, he'll never live it down after you do that.
0: Isn't there a law about this? Like when you post the wrong thing and that's the best way to get the right answer? Yeah. The, yeah. The uh,
1: Cunningham's law there that we discussed there with the, uh, the Cunningham says he never said, which was hilarious. I thought, Um, Ah,
0: yeah, that's right. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's been a lot of research done on this song. So just try to see where where did it actually come from? Was there any uh, religious symbolism in the origin? And uh, it turns out it doesn't seem to be. I mean, for a variety of reasons, of course, not the least of which is like an extremely modern source is the first time this ever popped up. But also it sort of strains uh, credibility because you have um, there's nothing actually in the songs that Catholics could have not said. Like it's just uh, under the, the penal laws that were I mean, that was a thing. Uh, so it's just like everything in there is not uniquely Catholic. They could have just said it. In oh, of being like, like you know, members could have could have would have been like, sure, yeah, let's, you know. So that any of the symbolism there, to, it, like all sects of Christianity, pretty much would be like, well, yeah, okay. So there was no reason to be secretive, like they're uh, saying in that sense. Uh, at least with the symbolism that people have proposed um and it's cuz you know they could just sing about it directly if they wanted uh, cuz and on on that note also like in the region of course it popped up and at the time period it popped up you're not going to find like you could say uh some people have said is that then oh is it just christianity in general like they you were know, they were trying to keep hide but but then of course uh, you can't really find a region where, where at the time period and the region and everything uh, they, there's there wasn't a place where Christianity was universally banned like they sure like you know oh we hate the Catholics or oh we hate the, this mm-hmm. sect or that sect but not universal like that and also of course if you're going to create a song in that case where you're trying to hide the fact that you're a Christian maybe don't call it the 12 days of Christmas Yeah, <laughs> and mention Christmas in the lyrics a lot um, they could,
0: so, if you were if you were really encoding something I feel like you could do a much and not just with the title just generally just do a better job yeah
1: and yeah and who would ever get those references like you would have to have like a a pretty extensive teaching of the children or whatever whoever that this this one means this and that and so it just it's sort of
0: you know like the six geese are the six days of creation what on earth does that have to do with geese it's just there happens to be six of them and six days of creation
1: then it's just a memorization you know at that point uh so i don't know it just it, it it
0: seems to to strain
1: credibility and it turns out we have a little bit better idea of maybe um, where it came from um here so the earliest versions of the song actually were um there's a few differences i mean it's important to note here that the in these early versions it wasn't wasn't just like oh we had this this early version that was these lyrics and then slowly it morphed over time at any given time we have reference to the song there were many different versions of the song which also makes it it's like well there was symbolism there like what how how come they're all different mm-hmm. uh the, the, so the symbolism kind of breaks down and so we have you know various different versions here and so you like in some of the early you had like 11 bulls a beating and 12 bells are ringing and um for uh, another one is that four calling birds which is supposedly are the you know they're calling the the apostles or whatever we're calling out you know but it actually originally was four collie birds which just means blackbirds yeah. um so and then the like the five golden rings are actually didn't refer to actual rings, they were referring to ring necked pheasants. And so the, <laughs> the, the point here is if you look at all these different versions, it was really just a song about eating a lot of birds and milk and then dancing and having fun. Um that seems I, to be I
0: much prefer the actual interpreted version. Yeah. <laughs> like I like feasting. I'm I'm not a big no. dancer, but I'd do it like You know? Yeah, why not?
1: Milk's okay. <laughs> yeah. It looks all right. You best. can
0: turn that into cheese. I like cheese.
1: Oh, cheese is amazing. Mm. But, uh, but yeah. And, and it was a children's song. Obviously, that's why they're going with milk instead of like beer and wine and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's true. So They've that yeah, like, been improving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it is just like kind of a feasting and drinking and stuff. And so, um, if we look at the the earliest known, there were sort of these French carols that were around before then that had similarities, like strong similarities for this. For instance, they had the, um, they did. They had the, uh, the the partridge, but it wasn't in a pear tree at this point. It was just a merry little partridge, uh. And so the uh, it was this particular one lyric was thought that maybe it got translated over to the English like a version of this song, uh, because the old French for partridge is actually a uh, pear tree, oh. Um, oh. Pe- pear trees, or whatever. So. All right, so the first, so what about the first British version or English version, I should say? Uh, So that came about around the late 18th century and around 1780. The first reference, we know about today is in the book called mirth without mischief Uh and it was called the 12 days of christmas sung at king pepin's ball Uh and uh, this this one did not have uh, any real religious connotations other than of course mentioning christmas and importantly it says specifically in this in this book it gives kind of a a strong clue as to what the actual origin probably was and it was a children's memory forfeit game which also explains why there was all the different lyrics and things like that what is that like
0: a memory forfeit game Oh well, you have to like remember them, and if someone doesn't remember everything, then they lose, kind of
1: thing. And gotcha. so, so yeah, and so if you if the kid would stumble over a verse or mix mix up the order of something or whatever, and then they lose basically. And there's a lot of tongue twisters, like low level tongue twisters for kids anyway, in in this song as well. So it's just it was a game basically.
0: Have you and so have you uh, have you mastered memory forfeit games? No, I've never. really. I just realized I just just learned this is what they're called because. Uh-huh. I, there's something you can learn in ten minutes, and then you can beat anyone at this game who has not learned it themselves. Like, is it the memory palace? Yes, the memory palace. Do you know how to do this?
1: Uh, well, I'm actually I I heard about it, and I'm actually studying Spanish right now. And uh, the the book, the textbook I have, the it is an entire book that is just like reading a regular book, but it's all a memory palace game. Like yeah. the entire textbook is a memory, like just for Spanish, and it's quite. I've never seen. I mean, I know all about memory palaces, but I've never seen it used that way uh, huh. in, like, academia, where someone was like, why don't we just use it to teach a language? Uh, and
0: it is that is exactly what they do. I've tried it for language learning, and I have not succeeded. Um, no. But I have succeeded with regular memory palaces. I was playing with a friend of mine who also did the memory palace. We, 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 we got up to, like, 70-something items, and then mm-hmm. you're just like... Uh, okay, no one has screwed up and it's 70 items. We've been doing this for hours. We were on a big cycling trip together and we'd just be shouting objects <laughs> at each other as we uh, race along the roads. Um, yeah. Good yeah. times. <laughs> well, and then also, you can attach numbers to them. So I was skiing last winter or the winter before. You know, something
1: more interesting to do while you're biking along is like listen to a baseball game or something. Audio <laughs> bike.
0: It's, it's quite exciting. Like your, the the capacity of human memory once yeah. you've got this memory palace thing down. It's... Yeah. yeah. And then what you can do is you can use it for completely other non-useful purposes. Like, uh, I was skiing and then on the ski lifts, my wife and I were doing a memory palace and then you attach numbers mm. to all of them. And we both yeah. got, you can get to like, we got to pie well into the hundred, uh, well above hundred digits because you're just like, huh. And it's, it's, it, I don't yeah. know. I like it. It's, it's interesting. Like what a, what the human mind's capable of. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. and, sorry, that was... And
1: why, uh, that, why that association is so strong and, like, so easy to remember things that way. Yeah. I think it seems bizarre
0: a little bit. It is, right? Anyways. I'd dominate. What my whole point was, I would dominate those children at that memory for <laughs> <corporate> game. <laughs> 12 items, please. Bring it on. <laughs> you call that a challenge? What is this, a game for kids? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: So there is this uh, professor of classics at the University of Massachusetts Amherst uh, named Edward Finney, and he kind of describes this type of memory forfeit games they used to play around this time. So this is probably something they would do. They would basically usually split the boys and girls on one side was a very common way to do it. And then you would trade verses on this song uh, or, or different songs like this. Uh, and then they would just go back and one of the, the the things that they would get if if like a little boy messed up or whatever, uh, then he had to go give a kiss to someone on the other side or sometimes have to do like a, they would have like some sort of small penalty or something like that. Like, oh, wasn't the past nice? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that nice? And so we have actually an illustrating of the, this type of usage by one Thomas Hughes who wrote it in 1862 in uh, The Ashen Faggot, A Tale for Christmas.
0: Does uh does faggot have the
1: same meaning in America that
0: it has in Britain?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, but this is
0: 1862, so he's definitely saying the ashen stick. Uh, Ah, Wait, stick? I looked up faggot, and it says, uh, other than the obvious derogatory definition, it says, uh, oh, okay, a bundle of sticks bound together as fuel. Uh Okay, that's Uh right. Or the other one, which actually sounds quite delicious, A, a ball or roll of seasoned chopped liver, baked or fried. I'm like, I quite like liver. That, sounds, that yeah. sounds pretty good. Anyway, in The Ashen Faggot, he writes... When all the raisins had been extracted and eaten, a cry for forfeits arose. So the party sat down, round Mabel on benches brought out from under the table, and Mabel began, The first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a partridge and a pear tree, and so on. Each day was taken up and repeated all round, and for every breakdown, except by little Maggie, who struggled with desperately earnest round eyes to follow the rest correctly, but with very comical results, the player who made the slip was duly noted down by Mabel for a forfeit.
1: And I should also have mentioned the partridge is actually a ground nesting bird, which is also why the partridge in a pear tree part is a little bit like that doesn't really make sense. Why would the partridge be in a pear tree?
0: yeah, yeah it's it's weird like you
1: but yes this this seems to be it is there's when the song first popped up, uh, adopting some lyrics from like some similar French tunes, and it was just a game that they played, and lots of different you know versions of it popped up, as you might expect when lots of different people are playing the game and coming up with their own lyrics and things. And then the more modern idea, I, you know, didn't come across until, you know, late 20th century, uh, that that is how the song came. And also, importantly, also the symbolism there was using the modern lyrics that sort of went, once it got set in stone, kind of the song. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the symbolism doesn't work back when you look at the old lyrics. So, you know, obviously not that one, but seems to have just been a game. There you go. Yeah. Spoil-
0: spoiling the fun. We're going to spoil the fun on the candy cane, too yeah Well, we we didn't really spoil the fun i don't think anyone like in, until you mentioned it i was like i had no idea that this had religious connotations like i kind of thought like eh, maybe it's religious because it kind of sounds religiousy but then yeah it's not really yeah okay cool you
1: know symbolism cool. is fun though you can you can put symbolism later it's just not the origin and that that brings us to the candy cane so cool there's lots of symbolism with that one that has come up popped up and uh we're going to have to spoil the fun on that one, too. So, where did the candy came from? from? How did it get associated with Christmas? Uh, in the beginning, they had many white hard sugar sticks. have been, you know, a common candy for as long as people have had candy, basically. Yeah. Seems seemingly. like a
0: simple type of <laughs> yeah,
1: thing. Yeah, you think been hardened sugar. Sure. Uh, not, not a, but the J-shape, that that is, you know, slightly more modern. Uh, or at least the, the candy cane as we think of it. So, there's the common idea that it was a choir master in the cologne cathedral in the late 17th century came up with this idea to make like a shepherd staff out of this common candy item and he would supposedly give it to children and stuff during the christmas eve nativity scene reenactment and christmas eve mass to you know shut them up or whatever just for a treat so this uh this is a common story it's put everywhere there's even lots of uh, you know it, it, a lot of reputable sources say this one but they're just actually when you actually look into it there's actually no Hard documented evidence that that's true at all. It's just something that's been sort of a long standing story. Um, um, just, it,
0: just, I wish I was given candy when I had to go and sit through the, through these bloody things as a child. Instead, it was just like, you will be quiet or there will be punishments. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's, <laughs> and that's the, hey, come on, where's my candy? Yeah. These, these
1: uh, live reenactments uh, had been popular since about the 13th century and nobody ever seemed like they thought kids needed candy. And of course, in, in actual mass and stuff, they're not going to give the kids candy. It just doesn't seem like a, thing that would be done yeah. but uh, also also the idea that it would be during the live reenactment that like people say it wouldn't be a thing because starting in the 15th century the church actually officially banned live reenactments of the nativity scene and so in the 17th century this would have been a static scene which still was a, a thing uh, uh, around so it wouldn't have been the live reenactment which would have been boring more boring so maybe the kids you know need a little extra something but yeah. but and th- this this uh church or whatever is in Germany, which is where the, the actual, the candy cane, as we think of it, sort of started to become a thing. And, uh, you know, around the same time. So it's possible there was like this minister that, that gave them, but it doesn't appear that that's actually the motivation for the original idea to put, make the J shape. Cause it turns out when these things started to become popular with the Christmas tree and everything, uh, it was also around the time in Germany that they started putting all sorts of food and candy and cookies and things on their Christmas trees as, like, ornaments. So they yeah. would actually make them so you might make a cookie with a hole in it and you could plop it on the tree, you know, into the branch through, and you had, like, fruits and stuff that you could stick on there. But, of course, a, a sugar stick hmm. is not going to stay up, you know, but if you make a J shape at the end, a hook at the end, then you can hang it really well on branches. And so it's kind of like the the general idea is probably that it had nothing so much to do with, like, you know a shepherd's staff, or like the J for Jesus, like people often think. And there's probably just, just like all these other things they were hanging up on their tree. It was just something to, you know, a way to make it hang on the tree. Um, and it uh, it actually, the practice came over to America by, it seems to be, via German immigrants doing the same thing. Um, just kind of these J-shaped candy mm. candy canes that they could hang on the tree. All right, so that brings us to the other idea of what about the stripes, right? So the the common symbolism today is that the white, symbolizes jesus purity and then the red stripe his blood i didn't uh, know that yeah that's like a thing that people say and uh you know it's good symbolism but (laughs) uh that also seems to be a really modern invention as as was the the whole idea of putting uh, it should be noted the actual idea of putting any color on the candy canes themselves at all uh, i mean less modern but uh so that one goes back to around the 20th century the early 20th century um before this white before yeah, they were just white because you know sugar. Sure. Uh, so, so the before this, there was actually though a white peppermint candy sticks. That when, when it was peppermint, someone got the idea of put the put some red on it, like the like we think of a candy cane. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that didn't seem to percolate over to candy canes for about a half century. So so the white you know striped, uh, red striped sticks were were a thing, and then the candy canes adopted it. So that also kind of maybe the the symbolism there. Doesn't really make sense because the the one preceded the other, and so yeah. once once the candy cane started to become like peppermint became the 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 choice because uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't always the case, you know it was just sugar sticks and stuff like that, but eventually peppermint did become the sort of the gold standard. And uh, this thought maybe maybe that was because it made the tree smell minty or whatever. So before you had plastic <laughs> wrap on it, like it smells, you know, like very minty, so that's nice. Yeah. So maybe that's how that got. But either way. Uh, It's kind of thought that this whoever came up with the idea of putting the red on the white striped candy sticks, you know, on the peppermint ones that eventually just once peppermint became the, the sort of choice thing to hang on your tree, then they just, you know, borrowed it over from that. And that seems to be around, It seemed, that switch seems to be like the late 19th century. There was lots of Christmas cards we have reference to that had candy canes and none of them had red stripes, so, you know, white and red stripes. Mm-hmm. And it was around the early 20th century that, where this changed. Basically, there's lots of Christmas cards around then that were all of a sudden it was and it's these peppermint ones. Um,
0: Are they peppermint today? I'm not sure if I've ever really had one.
1: Uh, the, usually the, I mean, they have all different flavors, but usually when they're going to do a different flavor, they'll do a different colors. So like the white, if it's white and red, it, it usually is peppermint. Um, and then they might do like, you know, like pink for bubblegum or, you know, these flavors. Yeah. That sounds bad. Yeah. Or like brown for chocolate. Um, that it sort of thing.
0: bad. I like peppermint. <laughs> just, just plain peppermint's good. No need to make it weird. Yeah. So there, it is. What, there what is flavor the flavor is bubblegum anyway. We made a video about this. It doesn't, it's not yeah, a flavor. It's, it's bubblegum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is exactly the flavor.
1: Yeah. There's no natural, uh, you know.
0: Did we do the juicy fruit video as well back in the day? This is yeah. one of my favorite ones. Like, what is that yeah. flavor? Because it's not fruit. It's like, was it made juicy from like fruit? juicy fruit one
1: was like the first, I want to say the first video we had that actually really took off like in the new unca- incarnation of the channel. Huh. You remember? It was like right around that time when all of a sudden YouTube was like, like all before is like, we hate you. We hate your channel. And then like all of a sudden it was like, we love all your videos, like all 500 of them all at the same time.
0: Pretty much two years ago today, they were like, "Hello, yeah." Only took five videos. <laughs> yeah, everyone needs to know now about juicy fruit immediately. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So there, there is the popular idea that Bob, one uh, Bob McCormick, uh, came mm. up with the whole red stripe thing in the nineteen twenties. But of course, we are we know that the red stripe were around before he was doing making them so that's not really true either uh, and so but he was bob mccormick was one who helped popularize the whole peppermint one and the the stripes so he he was integral to popularizing it yeah um, And by the 1950s actually he was producing a half a million candy canes per day the peak of his company, dude. Uh, which is, yeah, that is a lot of candy canes. That is so many candy canes. Uh, and he, <sighs> he did push the the peppermint striped ones. So, and you can see, like the the peppermint striped. You can see why, if not for the the smell of the peppermint, also it has just like that. I mean, putting a stripe on it instead of just a white stick, it, it makes a much nicer Christmas decoration. Like on your to mm-hmm. hang on your tree, it looks nicer and everything. But either way, we are going to get down to like actually something known definitively that has to do with the Catholic priest and okay. candy canes. So there was a Catholic priest. He Today's was the, episode is just like, yeah, people think this, it's a lie. People think this, it's a lie. Uh, what about <laughs> no? Also a lie, or or like if not lie, at least like we can tr- say tr- no. There's no evidence. Like someone came up with the idea later, much yeah. later, and so probably not because you know you could come up with an idea for anything. You know, here's a nice here's a nice idea. People
0: <laughs> apply to it later,
1: and here we are reading it. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Myth debunking is kind of fun too. Uh, but it, there was. Yeah. Catholic priest, his name was Father Gregory Keller, and he invented something called the Keller machine and not, you know, not the Doctor Who Keller machine. Oh, but I've never rather... seen Doctor
0: Who either. I think I saw the early ones when it was like my, my nan would make me watch them. Like, I didn't really <laughs> like it though. Yeah. So she meets you, makes you eat spam, makes you watch oh, yeah. Doctor Who. <laughs> I just wanted to watch Star Trek The Next Generation, but we yeah. have to watch Doctor Who as well. Yeah. Yeah. And she had this really old TV. It was real bad. And it didn't have a remote control, and you had to go up to change the channel. <laughs> yeah, not because the remote control was lost, but because this was a TV that was made before there were remote Where controls. You had to
1: you had to hitch up your covered wagon on the way to the, oh, yeah, on the way to this. get to the TV. Her house was so
0: old that this is this is fun. Like that, the bottom had been dug out. Like this is something because you know, like back in the day, the doors were shorter. Uh huh. Do you do you have this in the states? I know you don't have like super old buildings. But no,
1: no really
0: so like if you go back like 500 years or whatever the house was like 500 years old well the doors yeah yeah it was real old real old and that so the doors are lower down but also so are all the ceilings so like the whole first floor of a house was dug out by maybe a foot and a half like Uh from the you know down into the ground because modern people were so much taller so at some point it all been dug out so there was like and the the house had like a, a, a newer bit on the end so like stepping down into this is completely off topic i don't know why i'm just having this childhood memory now but i thought you'd find it interesting no that's still
1: a half century old or a half millennia old house that's amazing
0: yeah it was like uh in the village wearing her up she also lived there it was like the forge where they'd make the the what do you make in a forge like horseshoes and stuff so it was like this was the original purpose of the building and then it became like a house at some point and it was all dug out so you could so you'd have to take this big step down into the room where the TV with uh, without the remote control was. So not quite a, a covered wagon, but it was like an old TV in a really old house. Yeah, that, that uh, I'd like to see this house. That sounds fascinating. Ah, she sold it a few years ago. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Was it
1: like yeah. worth extra because it was so old? Like, like is it some sort of like... It's like in the US. <laughs> in the US, like a 500-year-old house would be like, this is a historic monument or something, you know, like...
0: It was protected, so like you couldn't make any big changes to it um, uh-huh. without getting permission from the people. But it's also, we have like different levels of listed buildings, like protected buildings. And this definitely wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, I think there's levels one and two maybe. I think this was a second level listed building, so it's not like uh-huh. so special that you couldn't ever do anything to it. Yeah. But there's a lot of old shit. Like, I, who was I talking to the other day? Was, I was talking to an American the other day, and it's like the apartment I live in, it was built in like 1888. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's not the oldest. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then you also
1: like go jogging on that wall, that wall that's like from whatever.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, The old city walls. Yeah. They're from like, oh, that's, that's, that's hundreds and hundreds of years old.
1: Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, Anyways, Keller machine. The Keller machine that he invented would put, so basically before the Keller machine to put that J shape, that little hook at the end. we would have have such a
0: tangent. I'm now like, what the hell's a Keller machine? (laughs)
1: Yeah, the Keller machine invented by a Catholic priest, Father Gregory Keller. Just to to make the bars, right, to
0: make the canes.
1: Yeah, so before okay. before he made this machine, <laughs> if you wanted to put that crook in it, you had to do it manually, but you had to do it, of course, how do you do that? It's like a hardened candy, so they would do it oh, while it's, it's still warmer, soft. Right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So it was really warm, just fresh out, and then they would bend it across these, they had like these wooden molds, and someone had to do this by hand. Uh, and so it ended up being that, like, so he was actually the brother-in-law of Bob McCormick, and so... Bob McCormick was telling him, we're losing like 22% of the candy canes that are produced. They just break because they harden mm-hmm. too quickly and then we don't get the nice shape in. And so uh, Gregory Keller, he invents this machine that will do this, put this crick in automatically. And then it ended up getting perfected by a couple of uh, McCormick's other employees, uh, Dick Driscoll and Jimmy Spratling. Mm-hmm. And that allowed them to basically mass produce at a much higher level. These things you kind of cut out the the human you know, having to bend them there. So you not only could do it faster, but you could also didn't have all these broken candy canes all the time. And so, yeah, yeah that, that is the Catholic priest that does have something to do with the candy cane and its, uh, you know, rise in popularity.
0: There you go. There you go. Kind of.
1: It's not, not right. Really... <laughs>
0: yeah. It's not like mystical. It's not like, oh, and it represents the J of Jesus and Sometimes. then his blood and his
1: is that That's spirit. a better story. That's a better story. That's why that one catches on. It's a good story. But no, it was just like Mm -hmm. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Candy sticks and at some point someone wanted to hang them on a tree. And like, you know, it wasn't Germany around that time that one priest supposedly did that. So like maybe he really did have these candy canes and, you know, was giving them out. Who knows? Just doesn't seem like that was actually the origin, you know. But moving on, Mm -hmm. moving on to something definitive, we know definitively, we're going to talk about Little Miss Dynamite and her Christmas hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, Brenda May Tarpley, Uh, better known as brenda lee so they just you know know, her name was brenda tarpley and they thought the tarp part wasn't good so it's not sexy no it's kind of hard to say it was weird so they got rid of the tarp and just went with the lee so it's you know brenda lee instead Uh, also got the nickname little miss dynamite because she was super short um at least when she first got um famous and everything so she was born
0: december of I was like when you said that i'm like so she had some sort of surgery to become t- taller. And I was like, no, more likely she was a child. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, she might still
1: be short, but she was definitely short in her teens which, when she got the, the nickname. Because
0: um, also she had that song, which was called Dynamite. Have you heard that song? Uh, dynamite. Is that? It's not that one, is it? Is, uh, that, is that a song? No. I'm just kidding. I think that's a very modern <laughs> song by... No. Uh, I have no idea. But that was definitely a song of like 10 years ago or something. Probably you can't get it from my amazing singing voice. But. <laughs> you
1: can Google the Dynamite uh, Brenda Lee. And I actually have uh, recordings of it, of her when she was um, a teenager singing uh-huh. it. And she was amazing. Like her, her, her the stuff she could do with her voice when she was like a teenager was just incredible. And it turns out also incredible when she was quite young. Um, so anyways, born in 1944, December of that year. And unfortunately, when she was eight, her father died and they were already super poor. He was like a, you know, labor basically to construction stuff and he got actually died in a construction accident in may of 1953 and then it turns out though she had been performing all the way since back and two years old she would go to the local shop her mom would bring her there and she would perform on the, she would just stand on the counter and sing and people would give her candy and money basically because mm. they, they didn't have a lot of money so it was a way to get candy and some money and then uh she kind of progressed from there to go to the age of five, she won a talent show and then got on, um, uh, from that, our local radio show, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, the Star what Maker Review. What was I Review. doing
0: with my life at five?
1: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but this, I just liked, I liked. I wanted to mention this one because the Star Maker Review, right, they, they see her in the talent show and they say, hey, you come on our radio show regularly. She would come on this show regularly. And they paid her in
0: ice cream. <laughs>
1: only ice cream. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, uh, as a five-year-old, it'd be like, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, especially
1: like a poor five-year-old who's like yeah. you know barely have enough to eat as it is, and you get free ice cream. Uh, so she would My just. My lawyer go and came sp-
0: back. He wants sprinkles in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I demand some caramel. Yeah. Um, but
1: anyways, so she does this, and then but this does segue into various TV shows then wanting to have her on, and they did not even pay her an ice cream. They it was nothing for free. She would come on and just perform for free. They didn't pay her anything, but she would do it, and she would also uh, perform at record chops and stuff. And so this this all brings us to by the age of 10. So her, her dad died at, when she was eight and they were already poor. But by two years later, she was basically supporting the entire family as a performer at 10 years old. And this got she got her big break. country music hall of famer Clyde Red Foley, who mm. he ended up in his career selling like 25 million records. And it turns out the song we're going to talk about in a second, uh, she actually sold about the same 25 million uh, copies for Brenda Lee's own version of it. Um, so she goes on his show. He actually, there's, there was a DJ, a local DJ, DJ Peanut Faircloth, who invites, uh, who, who's talking to Foley and says, hey, you got to have Wait, this. Wait, hold on.
0: That person sold 25 million records total? Uh-huh. And she in did it lifetime. for one song?
1: She did in one song, and she, she did a lot more than that. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, I promise this has to do with Christmas. We're getting, we're getting there. I just thought her life story is kind of fascinating. I think her rise... Uh, from like nothing to what she became um so when dj peanut faircloth he he's talking to foley and he said hey you got to have her on your show because he's he had this um so foley had this tv show they would go around to her and stuff he's like you have to have this girl on and foley didn't even ask to listen to her sing uh at this point um so he but he just has this this little girl he just has her on she's going to sing hank williams jambalaya and she goes up there and uh, and she does her version of it, which was a little bit different. And you can you can Google this, watch on YouTube. I mean, you can't see the first performance, uh, but some of her young performances, and she is amazing. So this is she's ten years old at the time, and this is her her big break. And so Foley nice. actually has a nice quote about uh, her big break there. And when he saw her sing for the first time,
0: he says, "I still get cold chills thinking about the first time I heard that voice." One foot started patting rhythm as though she were stomping out a prairie fire but not another muscle in that little body, even as much as twitched. And when she did that trick of breaking her voice, it jarred me out of my trance enough to realize I'd forgotten to get off the stage. There I stood, after 26 years of supposedly learning how to conduct myself in front of an audience, with my mouth open two miles wide and a glassy stare in my eyes. The way I stood back and enjoyed watching her work, I felt guilty for not going out to the box office and buying a ticket.
1: Mm. yeah so she has this performance and if you see what she i mean it is uh, uh, crazy she like does that little breaking voice thing and she's so little when she's doing this and like the way like the she kind of belts it out like the amount of like volume and like raspiness she can get in her voice yeah. and the control it's impressive i mean i guess she was performing since she was two so a lot of practice but either way so she was originally slated to just one song but then the audience wanted more she ended up doing three songs as the opener before they you know Got her off the stage, and then Foley instantly that night signed her to a five-year contract to be just r- regular on his show. Which actually, her mom would later get some lawyers to break that contract once she became really famous. Um, it was but, just we can't keep accepting only ice cream. <laughs> yeah, we need more. So she she segued this into uh, relatively quickly nine consecutive top ten hits on Billboard Top 100s or Hot 100 from in two years. That's when she had nine Whoa. consecutive. Yeah, it was just like a string of them. That was actually a record uh, for a female artist until Madonna broke it in 1986. Um, <laughs> but before all this, before she was super famous, uh, in 1958, at the age of just 13, and that's one of the crazy things, she recorded rock around, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, which there is when you go,
0: there's the Christmas, thir-
1: 13. So, I mean, just go listen to that song. That does not sound like a 13 year old singing. No. Um, yeah. She so she does, this
0: song or was this already there?
1: No, this was written by um, Johnny Marks, who also wrote uh, Rudolph Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Run, Rudolph, Run, Holly, Jolly, Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. He wrote wrote a lot of
0: all of these Christmas songs. Yeah. And he's Jewish,
1: which is the funny part about (laughs) that. (laughs) But um, but yeah, he's the one guy he wrote. He actually wrote quite a lot of Christmas songs and this one. This one was his too. And so they asked her to record it. And so she records it and it completely flops. Like it sold just a few thousand copies on its first release. She wasn't super famous at this point or anything. Just mm-hmm. so it does nothing. Next year they're like, "Alright, we're going to try again." They release it again. It also flops. Um sells just about a little bit more than the first year. And then finally Brenda Lee's her, you know, like I said 1960, this was 2 years later, her career just like explodes and that finally this song also uh you know, comes out again on Christmas and then it, it peaked at like number 14 the first that first year where she, 1960, where she became famous. And then within five years of that, uh, it also was still like every year it would go back up and it hit number three at one point. And today, today, uh, it has it sold like over 25 million copies of her her version alone. There's lots of other versions that have sold many more, but her own version, 25 million copies of that song that was also a flop for a couple of years, which always I always find that fascinating because you think like how many like hits and things or people who've written some great work or something that never, you know, just flopped and no one knows about it because you know if she never became famous later we you know rocking around the Christmas tree wouldn't be like a thing
0: dude but, I bet there's so much cool stuff in the past that we don't know about yeah that's it's always kind of interesting to mm. think about that so, great songs great pieces of literature movies. and Brenda Lee Brenda Lee go watch her performances she's like good she, I think she's still performing today she's in her 70s now wow and same, I, same I, hairstyle. I didn't see this. I haven't seen this. And I know we did a video about this before at some point. I don't think. Or did we do a video? The story's super no, I, familiar to me.
1: No, I don't think we've done a video. We might have done a podcast ages ago about it back in the whole podcast. Um, podcast. But no, I don't think we've done that a video. But but if you look, another funny thing about Brenda Lee is go look at her hairstyle when she's like 13 or whatever. It's the same today in her <laughs> 70s. She hasn't changed it. It's that same like classic uh, sort of like bun you know, hair bun type. Oh, uh, yeah, look, I'm looking at it like, the now. 19, Like the 1950s, you know, the women, that, that hairstyle basically. Yep, still the same today. But a great performer. Go watch on YouTube some clips from her, especially her early stuff. She's pretty uh, mind-blowing, her skills there.
0: That's cool. I'll definitely check it out. I like this yeah. one. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's Christmassy. It's, it's heartwarming. Yeah. Is that it for today? Should we do some follow-up? Yeah. Lieutenant... Uh, lieutenant. This, is, this is so disappointing. Like, uh, okay, so basically we had the discussion, like, is it lieutenant? Is it lieutenant? Uh, I looked this up. Um, basically, lieutenant comes from the old French, or the word, as, and as you would say it, from lieu to substitute or being a deputy and then a placeholder. So kind of that's where the word itself comes from. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of like why we say lieutenant and you say lieutenant no one knows awesome. that's it <laughs> this is the answer i'm sorry like I, I looked it up in the etymology dictionary maybe if you dived into this you'd find something but every source seems to just be like uh, people say different things like there was a yeah. lot of people saying it's something to do with this it's something to do with that and just then there's another person being like that's not true and <laughs> from what i found it's just mostly not true and there's just no definitive answer no one yeah. no one really knows Sorry to disappoint. Like I said, it wasn't that exciting. Fascinating, <laughs> indeed. Should we hit some reviews and before we before we wrap up today? Yeah, we
1: should do. Oh. I was thinking we should do Australia. We've never done reviews from Australia.
0: Reviews from down under. The guys enjoying summer right now. I should not. Oh yeah. There's th- certain things you should just not allow me to do. Uh, sing <laughs> and do accents. If I try and do singing or accents, just 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 stop me. Uh, I've got to. I've got to find Australia. I think you have to read the read the reviews oh, in no, Aussie no. accent, right? No, I definitely will not. <laughs> we have thirty reviews in the Australian iTunes store. Excellent. I'm sorry, we have thirteen, but we have thirty ratings. So let me just pull to most recent. We've got one from November the fourth. I'm going to read that one. It is from Devatron. Good day, Devatron. So, so glad I discovered your podcast. I first came across Top 10s, and then today I found out on YouTube. Always listen to your shows whilst cooking, etc. But now I can listen to you guys whilst working. Really like the longer format and the informal delivery, plus the banter and jokes between the both of you is great. Feels very spontaneous. Uh, good change from other podcasts I listen to where they sound like they are rolling their ass, eyes, <laughs> rolling their ass, whoops, uh, rolling their eyes whilst delivering their intros and outros, Plus a big thanks to introducing me to Fact Fiend. Uh, today I found out Carl Smallwood's channel. Uh, yep. Definitely look that up. Hilarious. The bonus facts are great too. Just finished listening to Macabre Space Ones. The Space Ones were especially, this is a real long review. <laughs> the Space <laughs> Ones are especially great. Some mind expanding stuff there. I like the idea of having a few episodes tied together with a theme. Really gives you slash the listener a deep dive into a theme and get a proper understanding. Keep up the great work. Uh, should I do one more from Australia? Sure, that was a good one. Good lead off.
1: You definitely.
0: They're, they're, they're mostly, in fact, I think they're all five stars. There's a three star, uh, but I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm not going to pull out the bad ones specifically. <laughs> or oh, three stars is fine. That's average. Uh, I used to watch, listen, uh, thank you. I am not paying you a cent. Okay, cool. I used to watch, listen to you all the time on YouTube. And then this thing came out, which I started listening to a few weeks ago on my way to and from work. Awesome. 10 out of 10. Thanks so much. I love all sorts of facts and even have a factoids Facebook page. Simon, you are cool. And David is really awesome too. Took me ages to find David's name and he's spelling it right. He's not calling you David or anything like that, which that's got to be nice. Uh oh, maybe introduce yourselves by the way. That's true. Nowadays we just kind of get into it and we don't really say who we are. We should probably do that. Um, um I always feel a, bit, feel a bit weird being like, Hi, yeah. I'm Simon Whistler. And I'm you're a what, podcaster. Yeah. Uh it feels more normal when I'm presenting something like on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like in the more informal thing, it's not like you go, Hey man, how's it going? I'm Simon Whistler. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I I I know. <laughs> uh I lost my place in that review, but thank you for the kind review. I'm not going to try and find it again. It was, it was really nice. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, what a, thank you for that review. It's oh, not fine. i finished the look damn up, thing. Look up. Uh, it was like three lines, uh, three words. <laughs> By the way, I listened to you mostly on Spotify and I had to install this app to leave a rating. LOL. Well, the thank you. We appreciate you leaving a rating. Went
1: to the ex- They went to the extra effort, so you know you should. I too. know,
0: so I should go to the extra effort. I'm a bad person, but you're welcome. I need to quickly do a bit of housekeeping. I want to follow up with because we've only had emails from one person who won our contest. So, mm-hmm. did you get my note about sending them an Amazon gift voucher? Uh, it's probably in my email somewhere. <laughs> uh, you need to send this dude an Amazon gift voucher the two people who also won, whose names are Twisted Linguist from the UK, Jace7891 from the US, you need to, if you, if you want your Amazon gift voucher, you were runners up, so you get $25 each, email us, podcast at todayfoundel.com, and we'll hook you up. And person who won, uh, I'm not sure if I can say their name, because I'm not sure, I've got it written, <laughs> Never mind, I'm leaving it there. Those guys follow up with <laughs> us. Uh, you need to send this dude his Amazon gift voucher and we should be good. Will do. Awesome. And we're having another contest. So if you leave us a review, we're going to pick someone from random and they're going to win an Amazon gift voucher of uh, a couple hundred bucks. 300 bucks, I think it was this time. So, yep. yay. Yep. Um, okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. You got anything else you need to say or are we good?
1: Uh, nope. I don't think so. Next week's going to be... What did we say? Oh, odd, odd Christmas traditions. There's a couple good ones in there that are really kind of weird. And one of one of actually my favorite, which I think we might have mentioned before at some point. I'm going to mention it anyway cuz it's 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 one of my favorites. I am I'm excited. Yeah.
0: I'll talk to you next week. Awesome. All right. Goodbye. You call that a challenge? What is this a game for kids?